Well, it's, it's hard to hear that the elevator has gone out, uh, but I'll tell you, I don't know of any elevator I've ever, ever seen that hasn't let me down every single time. I'm glad that the hope that we have is in something that cannot break, and the hope that we have in God will lift us up every single time. We focused on that hope in a walk, hope that is laid up in heaven. And uh, I'm looking forward to our focus this morning for our Bible class. And uh, we ended last night in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6, and it's the gospel that has come to you in verse 6. says, as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It is so important that we understand the grace of God in truth. Now, we just have one class to dedicate to the grace of God. And I remember when we were living in Fayetteville as as a, a young child that my dad did an entire series on grace for a year. And he still hadn't scratched the surface on the concept of grace. And I remember hearing people, you know, say, well, growing up, I never heard the concept of grace. I said, man, I heard it every Sunday, the concept of grace. So we don't have much time to be able to get through, but I'm looking forward to this focus. It's something that we desperately need. And I I mentioned last night a story to illustrate this idea of our hope that's laid up in heaven. What it means is that our hope is on layaway. And I mentioned then that we're going to, I was going to introduce a story that would help illustrate that. And that story would carry on to the class today and for our sermon here in a few moments. And so it was the idea of a bicycle that was on layaway. When I was eight years old, I had gone to Walmart and I didn't have a bicycle. And, uh, or I had one, I had a smaller one, and I wanted a 10-speed, and I went looking for it, and I had saved up my money to about $30 or $40, and I found, I found a 10-speed, and it was red. It looked just like the one in this picture, and, uh, and so Dad had agreed, and so I put that money down, and we put it on layaway. And I mentioned about this idea that I worked so hard to try to make sure that I could get as much money as I could to save and pay for that. And I know my parents were trying to instill in me the value of a dollar and earning and working for what you're going to have. You're going to take care of it when that takes place. And so this was that opportunity. And so I remember, and I've got something with me that I I, I brought, and I have kept it. I don't have the bike, but I have what I saved. Uh, I I took every quarter and penny and nickel, and this is a little coin purse that my Nana gave me, uh, and and she passed away in 1992. It's my mother's mother. It's the last thing she ever gave me. That's why I've kept it all these years. And I remember right now, it's it's really light, because there's really not anything in it except for a couple of coins I have for, for illustration. But I got a dime. I've got, a, I've got two pennies here. But there was a whole lot more. In fact, it was so full that I, I, was, I was struggling to zip it closed because it was full. And I remember as I was having to wait and I was trying to just earn as much as I could, you know, you know working in the yard and things like that and, and uh, going up to my granny and trying to help her and, and maybe get a couple of dollars here and there. I remember I would take out the money and I would, I would just, I would empty it on my floor and I would count it over and over and over, hoping 
that there was more that was there. <laughs> was that the concept of hope? No, I knew what was there. And so I would count it, and I remember getting to that point that I had the exact amount to the penny to go and get that bicycle that was on layaway. And so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I got it. Let's go. And so we go to the counter. And remember, I, I mentioned I had had a piece of paper that showed that I had given the, the, the money that before, and it also showed the number for the order, and, and it showed where they could go and get that bicycle that was in the back. And, and I remember them wheeling it out and me taking that bicycle to the front. And it, it was something that I, I was just, I was so excited about. You know, when you think about this idea of grace, we desperately need it. We need it. I, I mentioned the first, the first passage that we talked about on the first night was when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I want you to think about this as we're walking with God, that hope that's in a walk. I remember when I was seven years old, we moved from New Zealand to Haleville, Alabama, where that bicycle was, was purchased. And I remember when we were trying to go through the airport with mom and dad. See, my mom's 5'2", my dad's 6'2", and I don't know what I was. And I remember we had to try to get quickly to a gate. And my gate had to be a whole lot more than my dad's. Because dad would just, he did one massive leap. And I had three in between his one. Just to try to keep up with him. For us to be able to keep up with our father, it takes a run to his walk. Can you imagine how many steps we've got to take to be able to keep up with the walk of our heavenly Father? It would be impossible. That's the need for grace. My dad had to slow down a couple of times in order for me to be able to keep up with him. Grace. We desperately need it. Grace is what brings us hope. So, I get up to the counter with the bicycle, and, and I, I remember... I remember dumping them all out, and I, they were loose. It was a loose change, and it was grace from the, from the lady behind the counter because she sees this little boy, and she could have easily said, uh, you need to get this rolled. <laughs> but she said, she saw what was happening, and uh, she counted out every penny and quarter. But there was a problem. You see, when she rung it up, she, sold, she told me the amount. I knew the amount to the penny, and it was different when she rung it up. Now, I don't know if maybe I had just forgotten about, or I, maybe I didn't count it right. Maybe it was my eight-year-old math, or maybe it was taxes. I'm not sure at this point. I really cannot remember why I was off, but I learned a valuable lesson. And so as she's counting, I'm sitting there, and I didn't tell her. I didn't tell Dad. I didn't tell the countless people that had already lined up because they're waiting on her counting up all the money and I'm sitting there and, and, and she's counting and that, that pile's getting smaller and smaller and, 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 and that amount is not getting where it needs to get. And I'm saying, please be enough, please be enough. And she said, you're short. You're short. It's like, I'm already short. Don't tell me that. That's not fair. No, you don't have enough. Hmm. In Romans 3, in verse 21, if you'll turn there with me, when we talk about our hope that's laid up in heaven, we need to realize that we've all 
fallen short. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. There's not one person that's good enough to earn their right to heaven. Not one person who can, who can take all of the, uh, the, uh, the precepts of God and add them to their money bank. I've done this, I've done this, and I've got it full. I have earned my hope in heaven. It reminds me, I don't have this on the, the screen, but if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 19. Another young man, in verse 16, it says, Behold, a man came up to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This young man is asking with that word have there. He's saying, what do I need to do to possess, to obtain, to, to own my salvation. Notice my eternal life, my hope that's laid up in heaven. See the connection here. And Jesus says to him, what do you ask? Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. You know, you could look at this and say, what is Jesus talking about? Is he not good? Is Jesus saying he's not good? No, he is making sure that this young man knows who he's talking to. As this young man comes to Jesus and he calls him a good teacher, he's not just a good teacher. He is the good teacher. He is the son of God. He says, do you realize you're addressing the son of God? Do you realize who you're talking to? When you're talking about your eternal life, he is talking to the one that will give his life for his eternal one. So that's the context as we go further in verse 18. He said to him, and again, Jesus has told him, keep the commandments. So he's answered his question, what good things must I do to have, to own, to possess eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And this is a test. This is a challenge from Jesus. And he says, he says which ones? Which ones? Right? You get that idea of the, of the change sloshing around. And he says, Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear a false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The young man says to him, all these I have kept. And he can zip it up. I've done it. I have done everything. I've got everything that I need to go and get what's on layaway. To go and get my hope laid up for me. I've earned it. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And I have heard so many theologians go to try to explain away this passage, referring to the, it's easier for a, rich, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. They've tried to establish things that just are not true, to try to make it possible for a man to earn his way to heaven. See, the context of what's happening here is this young man thinks that he can do everything he's got enough to be able to get and to possess, to own his salvation according to his merit, according to how good he is. And notice when Jesus tells him that test that I submitted to you, keep the commandments. And he goes and he lists all the different commandments. Remember, that last one was love your neighbor as yourself. When he says, zip, all these I've kept, do you notice Jesus challenges him on the last one that he said? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you are perfect, if you've got it all in that little bag of yours, then why don't you go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor? What is he saying? Do you truly love your neighbor as yourself? If you did, you'd sell everything that you yourself have and you will give it to the poor. If you are perfect in it. If you're truly perfect, like you said you are, then you will go and do this. He goes away sorrowful because he has great possession. Why? He goes away sorrowful because he hasn't kept the commandments. He is proving that you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't think, I'm good enough, I'm the best, and, and God owes it to me. And that is key. That is so important. See, I'm sitting there and I'm embarrassed because... I remember going, there's a little zipper here, and I remember not putting anything in it, but I just checked it again, and I checked it again, and nothing. There was some lint in there. She didn't accept the lint. I think it was $6 that I was off. And I looked at my dad, and he looked at me, and he had this look on his face. And, and I didn't know what that look was. It was just this. He's contemplating, what am I going to do here? Because he could have said, okay, we're wheeling the bike back to the checkout counter, and we're going to go, and you're going to earn the rest. Or he could have done, or he could do what he did. He took out his wallet, and I will never forget, he took out those dollars, and he paid the difference. He paid the difference. And he taught me a valuable lesson of grace. He didn't have to do it. Again, he was trying to teach me something very valuable and I'm very thankful for. He knew he was a preacher and he had twins and there's no way that he was going to buy us a car. <laughs> and we had to learn how to buy our car. <laughs> Let me tell you. And we did. But what a blessing as a wheeled that bike to the car. I knew that I hadn't earned it. Even though I'd earned the amount to get to that point, I knew I didn't deserve it. I knew it. And, and so let's keep this in mind as we're discussing what this concept of hope is. Grace brings hope. And uh, we're going to go to the next slide here. And it's not, let's see. Can you advance to the next one? I have it on. Grace is a gift. 
Grace is a gift. Romans 3, 23. Let's go back to that. I promise there's more slides, but it, we can get that when we, when we get that. Verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So His grace is a gift. It's a gift that cause, causes us to be justified. And, and I heard someone explain this, and it, it has helped me understand the word of justified. Just if I'd never sinned. That's a gift. Because I remember the sin that I've committed. I remember all of the, 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 the different uh, points of change that I've brought into my soul every time I sin. And I remember that it all added up to me falling short of the, the glory of God. I remembered it. But God chose not to. And that's a gift. It's a gift. It's, it's something that we cannot earn. Uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 later on, but I want to look at verse 8 again, or here it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So remember Yesterday we talked about how hope from Colossians 1 verses 1 through 6 shows us that the hope laid up for us in heaven produces faith and it produces love so that we'll remain strong, that we will not give up, that we will bear fruit. And so it is something that it produces faith, but it also reveals faith. It's that God has faith in you as you have faith in him. And it's that perfect circle. It's that, it's that relationship. So as we're, we're, we're talking about this idea of grace, it's through faith that we're saved. But it is not one-sided faith, whether it's my faith in God that's going to get me through. I just got to have my faith. You know, I, I, this is a really hard time. I just got to have my faith. But what are we saying when we say that? My faith is in God and God's faith is in me. That means when I, my faith is in God, I'm going to obey what he said. Obedience is so important. That's what my faith is. We could go to James chapter 2 and says that, that, that we'll show our faith by our works. There's a balance to that concept. But I want us to get this point that it is a gift from God and it's not your own doing. That rich young man walked away sorrowful because he thought he could possess like, like one of his, possess, his many possessions, his eternal life. And say, well, I never have to think about it again. Zip, I own it. Now I got that out of the way. Let's get the rest of our life focused. You see the problem with thinking that we just own our salvation? Because you could also look at this and say, you mean you can't know that you're saved? And that you're going to be worried all the time at every turn that, oh my goodness. No, that's not what we're saying. We just realize it's a gift from God. The gift that's been given to us, but we've got to grab hold of it and, and unwrap it and use it. Use it. So grace is a, it's, it's, it's a gift, 
But I didn't look at my father and say, you know, I earned this money. You, you owed it to me. I remember when I was, uh, later on, the bicycle got a little bit bigger when I was uh, 17. And uh, I had had a 1974 Chevy Nova. One of our deacons at Fayetteville, Joe Han, he offered me a job and he wanted to make sure I could make it on time. And so he, he, gave, he gave me a deal and I gave him $1,500 and he gave me two keys. You remember the two keys? And I remember that was my freedom mobile, but gas prices went from, from 97 cents to $1.50 at that time. And I couldn't keep that thing on the road. And so I sold it to get the down payment for the ranger. But the problem was I didn't have enough for the down payment and the, even with the cosign from my dad. And so I rode my bike to the closest place I could. See, I worked for Joe, but he sold the business. So I had to find another job, right? And I went to the closest to our house downhill. It was horrible going back, by the way, because I rode the bicycle, different bike. And, uh, and I remember working there at Duroc Cafe, and the boss, he kind of cut some corners. Uh, and, and there were some things that he would do that were a little shady, and, and uh, I didn't know at the time, and, and he's my boss, and so I'm just going to say, I'll, I'll do whatever he says. And so uh, come to find out, there were uh, some things, some jobs that, because I said yes, he took advantage of that. And they had a big, you know, 80 capacity, you know, for the boards, but you could fit 80 on this rotisserie smoker. The building was built around it. And when it was off, you could get inside it and stand up like this and use a pressure washer and clean the entire thing. And I did several times. And so I remember if you're, you're very close range and I looked, I looked this color when I got out, by the way, and I smelled and those clothes had to be thrown away every time. And, uh, and, and I remember doing this, and I had done it probably three times, and one of the other workers, he's like, hey, is he paying you time and a half? Is he paying you extra to do this? I said, no, he's paying me $6.25 an hour. He said, he's seen you coming. And I remember, what? Are you kidding me? And so uh, I never talked to him, and I still did it for the same price. He never, never did that, never changed. But I went in there. And they expected me to buy my lunch. So I went in and I, I got some chicken and I got a burger and I put it on the grill. I'm making my food and the boss comes up. He walks up and he sees me making the food. He, I'm putting chicken on a burger and it's not on the menu. And he's looking at me and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm making my lunch. And he said, okay. And he walked away. <laughs> I was like, I earned it. I never had to pay for lunch. He actually was fine with that. But I felt like I earned it. And so that is not how I felt toward my dad when he paid the difference for this bicycle. I hadn't earned a penny. I had not. And, and, and I think we need to realize when we're looking at God, we can't look at him like that boss and say, hey, you owe me this because he's not that way. He's not going to treat us in that way, and, and, and that was wrong of me to do, but it's so easy for us to think that God is that way, and that he just, he owes it to me. And, and it makes me think of Matthew 25 with the, the, the man, the, the one-talent man. Do you remember when he comes 
the, the, the master of the house comes and, and he settles the accounts with the five-talent man, the two-talent man, and the one-talent man. And the five-talent man says, he says, you know, which is five talents is a hundred years wages in that culture. And he says, look, I've given you a hundred wages more, 40 wages more, or 40 years wages more, hundred years wages more. And the one-talent man comes back with his 20 years wages and he, he, buried, he had buried it, and he, he exhumes the, the 20 years wages. He says, see, here is what I owe you, because I knew that you're a hard man. You reaped where you didn't sow, and you gather where you didn't scatter any seed. And I've always looked at that, and I said, well, that's one way of looking at God. But that's the way someone would look at God, maybe because of their laziness, their their idea that, you know, God, he is uh, a harsh man. He's a harsh taskmaster. And, and he, he expects from, from, from us where he never cast and, and scattered seed. And that's his perspective of God. But the other two, their perspective of God was that he just gave me a hundred years wages. If your boss gave you a hundred years wages... Are you coming back to, in, in one lump sum, are you coming back to work the next day? Are you going to work till you retire? He's given you everything. Are you going to keep working for him? If he's given you 40 years wages, are you going to come back the next day and you're going to work nine to five, clock in, clock out? Are you going to do that, not getting that paycheck every Friday? That's what God's done for us. He's allowed us to work for him. And how easy is it that we say, well, he's, he's given me salvation and I just zip it up, bury it, however you want to say it. And my salvation's in the bag. <laughs> That's not what grace is. That's perverting the grace of God. In fact, we're going to look at that later, but we work because of the grace of God. But in the, the second place, grace has a giver. If, ga if grace is a gift, then grace has a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My earthly father gave to his only begotten son. It just so happens I'm his only begotten son. But he gave to me, he did not give me. He didn't give me as the sacrifice. He just gave to me as that sacrifice. And I am forever indebted to my dad and my mother for what they've instilled in my life, in my sister's lives. But I am more indebted to my heavenly father because he gave his son for me. He paid the difference, and it's so much more than a few dollars. He paid the difference because of the sin that's in my life, because I've fallen short. And when you're in that place and there's nothing left and you can't make it, that's what my sin has done. There's nothing left. He paid the difference with the blood of his son. So grace has a giver, and I'm not that giver. I'm not the one that gives grace to anyone. God's already handed it down, but I pass it on. I pass it on. Because of what God has given to me, how can I not help somebody else? Uh, 
I remember well, in, in recently we've been trying to, to help this young man. We've been having this Bible study, and he's struggling with alcohol. And, and uh, I went to, to the hotel where he's been staying, and there was a very kind lady that had paid for him to have four days in this hotel. And the church to, uh, agreed to, to help him for a couple more before his court date. And he comes up to me and he says, how are you doing this? He says, why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? He said, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. Why are you helping me? He says, you know, I've been drinking. And I could, yes, I know you've been drinking. I'm smelling it. So he goes to someone down the, the row from him on the, in the motel that had alcohol and he started drinking in there. And uh, he said, you know, I've been drinking. I don't deserve this. Why are you helping me? And I said, well, says it when, I said, this is what Jesus does. And he said, what does that even mean? I said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got clean and really proved ourselves that we're serious, that we're going to, we're going to, we're really going to shape up, then I'm going to help you. You know, once bitten, twice shy. No, he didn't wait till we were clean for us to help us. <laughs> he didn't wait till I was clean in my sin when I'd fallen short. And, I, and he's like, well, that, yeah, I understand that, but why are you helping me? And I said, if Jesus did it for me, how can I not do it for you? That's what we're talking about here. Grace has a giver, and that's why we give grace to others, because he's given us everything. And when we realize the source of the grace for us, that changes everything. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, For all have sinned, verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This word propitiation, it's an interesting one. It, it means to be merciful to. It means a sacrifice or the means by which we receive forgiveness. It means that he showed mercy to you and to me. So Jesus literally became the mercy seat for you and for me. God decided to sit on a seat to be in that Holy of Holies, for us to be in his presence, and Jesus was that. <laughs> you know, in James chapter 3, you know, God shows no partiality, and he says, how can you say to the rich man who comes in your assemblies, you sit here in a place of honor, and, and you say to the poor man, you... you uh, you stand here or, or become my footstool. Jesus became the footstool. Jesus became the seat for God so that we would have mercy. And what's interesting is this word is it's only ever used for something that God does for us. It is never used for something that we could do for ourselves. Again, it's that it's, there's nothing left in the bag. This is only something that God does. And when you realize that, the gratitude that you have, 
it's just, it's, it's incredible. I remember I was, I was on Buford Highway last night and I was, I was driving, just getting back to the hotel and, and uh, I took the wrong turn and I went down this road, I think it was Satellite Boulevard, and I remembered there was actually somebody down there that I had gone and taken a pizza to and that guy gave me a $10 tip <laughs> and I cried. He hugged me. I'll never, I'll never forget that. Because I had that one person that uh, I had waited for 30 minutes at a plant here in town. And uh, I had two other deliveries that I had to take. And, and the security guard at the plant actually walked me in. The lady didn't come to the security guard. I had to go into the plant. And it was taking time. And that pizza was getting cold for those two other orders. And she comes in and... and uh, <laughs> And their security guard standing there out of protocol. And uh, she gives me the food and there's no tip. And she said, the tip is don't spend it all in one place. Zero. And I, wow. And he was like, he looked at her and he looked at me and he's like, that was wrong. So he's sitting there watching. I said, if she's okay with it, so am I. And we walked out, and I walked out. And uh, you never know how someone's going to respond. And you never know how, how things can take place like this. And, and God is the one that makes it possible for us to make it in this life. He's the giver. We've got to realize that. I don't know what would cause someone to help. I don't know what would cause someone to be in that place. But I know who the giver is, and that's God. In, in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, we understand that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Notice he says that this son of God is full of grace and truth. The fact that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us means that it is only in Jesus that he's full of grace and truth. He took on flesh, but he took on more by being full of grace and truth. This, this idea of, of this, this, this money purse being full of what I needed to get what I needed paled in comparison to his fullness. He was full of grace and truth. So grace has a giver, but grace has a receiver. In Romans 3.25, it says that we are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his, uh, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness. See, he passed over former sins. 
in John 1 and verse 16. And our time is, is quickly getting away from us. Verse 16, it says, And from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. That's how full he is. He, it just continues to pour. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. How do we know God that we haven't seen? Through Jesus. Through the way Jesus lived in this life. Through what he taught. Through how he lived. We see God. When we see Jesus, we see God. Remember, the, the, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God and believe also in me. He goes on, and, and, and later on, one of his apostles asks, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, I've been with you so long. You see me, you've seen the Father. That's how we understand that we're the receiver through Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more we know his Father. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 gives us the rest of the story, the full account. Ephesians 2, verse 4 beginning. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, I've heard this. You know, I'm a good person. Uh, and I can't get around, I get my mind around this idea of how could a loving God how, how could a loving God send a good person to hell? Remember, do you remember how Jesus spoke to this rich young man? He says, when he said, good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. Where's your definition of good? Good comes from the Father. That means that we've got to, we've got to establish our good based upon God, not the world's standards. It's because of those who are walking away from the presence of God that, you know, the, Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There are people who see something that God sees as good and they see it as evil. And there are some who see that what God sees as evil and they say, no, that's good. That's what the world has established as good. Because Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I'm not a good person even though I try to help somebody else. How many things you see on YouTube, someone doing good, who's filming it? Why is it being filmed? How many likes and clicks? How many followers are they gaining? How much money are they getting from YouTube because they just gave $100, they're getting 1,000. I'm not saying that that's not great that they're doing it, but they're letting their right hand know what their left hand is doing. They're letting the world see, look how good I am. Keep going says verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we're walking with God, as we're walking in that hope, then we are going to be working for God, but it's as a result of being a receiver of grace. It's not working to, 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 to earn it. But there's a balance that must be made there. We've got to realize that as a receiver of grace, 
We're going to be forever indebted to him. And as a result, I'm going to work. I'm going to work for him. In the fourth place, grace has a purpose. Romans 3, 25. Remember, it was this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Because he was willing to pass over former sins, that's where we get the word pass over. And remember that lamb that had to be slain in order for the blood to be put above the, 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 the doorpost for the, the, the children of Israel as they were going to be coming out of, of Egypt. This Passover, if that blood wasn't there, then that angel of death would not pass over the house. We need the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, over our doorposts of our homes to make sure that he pass, passes over former sins. The only way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. So that's why grace has the result, as we just said. As a result of grace, we work for the Lord. Understanding grace must have a response to that generosity. Thanks. Gratitude. So works are the result of grace, a response to it, gratitude for it. When I'm grateful, I show it. So Romans 6, 1 through 4, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For we were buried with Christ in baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. So how does grace abound in our lives? Not by continuing in sin, but you've got to carry that. Grace abounds because we're buried with Christ in baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. Not uh, June 8th, 1995 was the day that I was baptized at 11 a.m. Granny was there, Ben. I remember that day. But it's not that day in the past and, and, it, and, it, and it's done. It's a continually walking with God. Grace has a result, and it is seen in your life today. No matter how long ago that baptism took, I realize our, our time is gone. We've got to continue in this grace so that people see it. So they, they come to understand that they too can receive grace, and they can know the grace giver through you. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, we are just so thankful that we have hope because of the grace that you bestowed upon us. And that as a result, we will work till Jesus returns. Help us to bear fruit according to that repentance. Help that fruit to be something that in this harvest weekend that we're striving to reach our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. Pray, Father, that you'll just give us strength to rely on you even when... It is so challenging. Help us to persevere, keeping our hope laid up for us in heaven. We realize that it is you who provide us with eternal life through your Son. And it's in his name we pray.